Welcome you in to the latest edition of Be Conscious. If you're listening for the audio feed or if you're listening to the audio feed, this is actually the very first edition that is available in video form over on our Patreon account, patreon.com slash Damien Barling. We welcome you into the latest episode and a repeat visitor, my man Kamara Williams, uh, all the way out in Orlando. My guy, man, on, I'm so man. happy to have you. I'm so happy to have you back for the second visit. I feel like oh, you could man, be. I, I feel I, like you could be a regular co-host, man. We we don't even like need to make you a guest. You could just be a regular co-host in this, or we just start recording our phone conversations, man. We'd be good to go. Listen, yes. It, the funny thing is, uh, for people listening now, we we indeed we're having this long conversation on politics, and Damien's is like, damn. We should have put this on. Yeah, we, we should put this on wax. <laughs> yeah, because you said you said you said right after, like, yo, man, if you ever want to do be conscious again, let me know. And then, like, I I stopped for a second. I was like, damn, we should have recorded that whole conversation we just had because we were talking about Kamala Harris. Uh, we were talking about. I, I mean, the I remember the I mean, the, the conversation probably started with the Kings, but it, like, I, right. I you know, I, I asked you. I was like, yo. What do you think? Because this, I don't know if this was the day that Joe Biden made the announcement or the day after, but the whole conver- day after. Yeah, the whole conversation started, and I guess that's how we'll start this conversation. We'll just pretend like we're back on the phone hanging out like we were the other day. Is like, yeah. like, what do you think? Well, Kamala Harris now is the 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 vice president for Joe Biden, the vice president nominee. Like, what, what do you think about that? Um, I think it was the best move he could have made. Um you look at all the candidates and what Joe needed at the time or what he needs right now. He needs an, a fierce advocate who's going to deliver clear defining messaging. Um, there's several levels to, to picking a vice president. Uh, Hillary going back. Okay. Let's go back to even uh, Obama. Obama is picking Joe Biden as his vice presidency. And, you know, they weren't friends when you picked the vice president, right? right? But he needed somebody who was an elder statesman in the Senate, right? Or in this congressional elder statesman who had the inroad relationships um, in Washington and also had the look of, let's just call it what it is, on the- uh, He needed an old white male. He needed an old white male. Yeah. You know, and it just kind of, it balanced out. So Joe Biden picked, he, he checked off a number of different boxes um, for Obama. And what Obama was actually looking for was like, he wasn't looking for a rising star, right? He didn't want to look for somebody that was trying to uh, pivot off of him, but more or less, you know, and, and I think it was, it's ironic now, Joe Biden's biggest selling point was like, listen, I've run for president three times already. I've lost. That's no longer my ambitions. I just want to make sure you do well. Mm-hmm. And that was eight, what, oh, oh, 12 years ago? Yeah. 12 years ago, geez. And um, it's funny now that he's the vice president, right. he's the president nominee, yeah. you know, because initially he was, his, his biggest selling pitch was like, I don't, I don't have any ambition for the big seat. Mm-hmm. I just want to make sure you're doing well. And, and he, he didn't run. Vice president. He didn't run against Hillary, right? He didn't run coming did out of the vice presidency. Him. Yeah, that and, and and that was a big old thing because um he wanted to run that time. He wanted to run right after 
but it was Hillary's quote unquote turn. Right. And it's all about timing, right? I I honestly think that it had Obama not um, run in 2008, Hillary would have been the presidency, president in 2008. I agree. Um, and it was like he he kind of leapfrogged her. And then when it was time for her to run in 2016, mm-hmm. ideally the road had already been laid out and she was going against this upstart buffoon, you know, that nobody, obnoxious guy that nobody thought really had a shot at it. But um, she gets, and I'm, get, I'm going somewhere with this. So she says, hey, listen, I just need to make sure I bolster up the Obama section of the party and um, appeal to certain voters. And, um, you know, she didn't really campaign as what as, as she should have. Mm-hmm. There's a the famous story that she went she went to uh, Michigan once. Right. She didn't even step foot in Wisconsin, right? Um, and you know, I don't know what Siri's doing. Siri, do you hear that? No, I can't hear. Oh, no. I, I was on my side. Okay, yeah. All right. Um, so. Uh, she was, you know, and all that came out after the campaigner. election. How much she didn't, he, how much she didn't campaign. It was all of a sudden she, she wasn't stepping, in, stepping a foot into those swing states that mattered the most. Right, but here's the thing. So it gets it. Um, it she's she misread the playing field on the entire campaign, right? And she picked someone like Tim Kaine, who's that has no appeal. Right. Even out in even in Virginia, he has no appeal. Right. He didn't even win his own home state. I think he lo- they lost Virginia mm-hmm. that that election. Um, so he couldn't even deliver Virginia. But you know his thing was like, oh well, you know he can speak Spanish, and he can appeal to Hispanic voters. Here's the thing: it's great to be bilingual. But if you ain't got no type of appeal, mm-hmm. right? They're not going to. You're not going to. You're not going to generate votes, right? There's a lot of people who can speak bilingual that, you know, Hispanic, Latino people are not going to uh, um, just hop on the voting trail for. For she had really no excitement in that, and so I feel that to say is the lessons learned from the Biden from the Hillary is that number one. You're going to have to earn the vote. It's not going to be given to you mm-hmm. because obviously the um, the Obama faction they went down. It was 88 percent. Uh, it was 94 percent black votes for Obama. 96 percent in 2008. 94 percent in 2012. It went down to 88 percent in 2016. And what a lot of people don't realize is that Trump, although he killed her with the old 306 delegates. Um, he, he barely won the election. It came down to really three counties mm-hmm. in the election. A lot of people don't realize that. It came down to three counties. Uh, uh, the, the county in Pennsylvania, which she lost, uh, which she lost Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan, a county in Michigan, and then counties in Wisconsin. And, Fascinating. If he would have won, if she she would have won those three counties. History would have been different. And 
that and I think that's people's frustrating with or frustration with the voting process is that's always what we're talking about. Like like on election night, inevitably, we're going to be talking about Florida. We're going to be talking about Michigan. We're going to be talking about Ohio. Like they made they made mm-hmm. an entire te- scandal was all about a rigging an election. The whole television show scandal was about rigging an election in Ohio. Like everything comes down to Ohio, Florida, Michigan, just a handful of states like every single year. And I'm guessing based on what you just said that Joe Biden's approach to uh, how he campaigns in those states is going to be a little bit different uh, than the way it was for Hillary four years ago. But Right. So, but back to, to, to the Kamala question, right? Like, what, why was it a good question? Why? Because to your point, Biden understands that I'm going to sure up the Rust Belt. I got that. Right? Pennsylvania, they get me, obviously. Ohio, I understand Ohio. The Ohio, Ohioans got me. I'm going to get, get that. You know, Michigan, I'm going to be tough in the Michigan street. I'm getting that. What I need Kamala to do is to bring in the excitement vote. Mm-hmm. That's what I need her to do. The hope vote and the yes, we can vote. And the one that galvanized right. people to go out there who didn't go out there four years ago. Right. You know what I mean? That's what I need. I can get you. I, I'm going to get the, the white male. I'm going to try to bring. And it, it, they, actually, the um, Democrats have lost the white male vote since. 1964, I think. Yeah, 64. 64 yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's they. So, but in reality, what he's doing is like I'm going to appeal to the voter that you know feels like they were just they were cast aside by Trump, right? So, yeah. But I don't need Kamala to get those to vote. There's a there's 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 been conversations that Trump got elected. And you could probably speak to the truth of this. Like there, there, there's, there's been a perception. There have been conversations that Donald Trump was elected primarily. Now, now we know white males, and and we know all of that. But we we always look for like sectors of swing voters. You know, you 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 talked about like the hope vote and the yes we can vote and all of that. There was a a, a belief that 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 Donald was elected by white women. Like white women wound up being that swing, and it was all of a sudden the white women didn't vote for Hillary Clinton. They voted for Donald Trump. And right. so I, I, I guess the, the question circles back to, you know, the, the first thing I asked you is, is, is Kamala going to be able to, to get the white women? No, that's not why she's here. She's not here to, to, to get the, the white women vote, right? Um, ultimately, she's here to bolster up a the black vote, right? Um, she's here to encourage um, the excitement vote, mm-hmm. right? That's the millennial voters. Sure. First-time Where voters, are, too? We're going to throw first-time voters in there as well? First-time voters. Okay. She's trying to encourage, you know, millennial voters, black voters, you know, um, it's, people our age. Yeah. She's trying. She's a young. She's a young, supposed to be a younger looking candidate. Um, I mean, no, we can get into her policies and how whether or not they are they popular and whatnot. But that, that's her appeal. And for for, for also uh, Biden, he lacks 
the ability to de- deliver clear messages. He got, gets off a talking point. Right. And um, he needed some, he needs somebody on the campaign trail that can prosecute his case and why he, his vision for America is better. Because the problem is Joe Biden has a hard time staying on message. Yeah. Right. And it's to me, one of the one of the interesting parts about Biden is that I cannot understand what he's trying to say half the time. It's just he does not deliver it. But it sure right? doesn't feel like that is a prerequisite to be a president anymore. I, I no, I, it's not. I really, I really don't feel like we're going to look at the clear and concise speaker as a deal breaker when it comes to you know, given that we went from arguably or perhaps inarguably the most charismatic president we've ever had to the guy we've got now, suddenly Joe Biden stumbling through a message doesn't look so bad. Right, but here's the thing. Um, it's weird because the Democrats are a big tent party. You know, um, Republicans fall in line, Democrats, Democrats need to fall in love. And in order to fall in love, you need to have the package. Like, I, I as, all, as in all love affairs, it's just not the way you look. It's how you speak to me, mm-hmm. you know, and you may have this thing to where I might, I might, you might check out some boxes for me, but I don't like the way you said that to me. And it's like, well, you know, can you just focus on the other things? Like, no, no, no. I need you to talk. I need you to talk me, talk, to, talk me into, you know, committing to you. Mm-hmm. And that's where we're at. Even as over 80 some day, 81 days, or maybe 80 days now from election, there are still some who's like, I want Joe to talk to me. Talk to me, baby. Tell me why I need to commit to you. Right? And so he has to actively campaign and provide his vision and a clear vision, a clear delay, um, definable vision of why my, what, why my leadership is going to bring us back to a hopeful and a prosperous um, and happy nation. So right now it just seems very unhappy. Yeah. For a number of reasons. Uh, but it's, number wild, reasons, right? it's, a, it's wild to think that we're 80 some odd days or 80 days away from, uh, from election day. Um, especially given the way that this year has gone, it just feels like everything is kind of just kind of scrunched together. Um, we need to go back to something that you brought up a second ago, and that was Senator Harris and our policies. And I think this was really the crux of the conversation that made us realize we should have been recording when we were on the phone. And that's, you know, Senator, Senator Harris has a, has a history uh, and some would argue it's a less than favorable history when it comes to her criminal justice policies. And Mm -hmm. this has caused a lot of people in the black community to question this selection as a vice president, which I just found, you know, baffling in the sense that, like, I know Stacey Abrams out there or was out there, who you're very familiar with. I know there there were a number of other candidates out there. But really, at this point, there should be one goal, regardless of who the vice presidential candidate is. There should be one very, very simple goal, and it is that Donald Trump doesn't get reelected this coming November. And to start, you know, kicking and fussing about, you know, whether uh, Senator Harris is black enough or whether she's in an interracial marriage or whatever her criminal justice policies were, it's like, yo, this is this is not the time to be arguing about that type of stuff. Particularly, it's not this time of time. It, it, it's not the time to be arguing about this stuff publicly. Right. 
So here, here's the thing. Um, it's no beating around the bush. Her criminal justice record is it's a lot to be desired. Yeah, it's bad. Right, and there's no, there's no, there's no painting. Although interesting enough, there's a um, article written by the public defender, her pub, the, her counterpart, um, saying that she was actually a very progressive um, district attorney, and um, then and there's just metrics showing that she was actually in a, a progressive attorney general. Um, but you know what I've realized is that nobody walks in this game. Walks, it's like the drug game, politics like a drug game, and nobody walks out clean. Mm-hmm. Russ, which made Obama's ascendancy even more peculiar, right? And I think he he kind of ruined a generation of voters, I believe, because it was like a lot of times people's first time getting involved in politics. Sure. He came on the scene. And so they see someone who's who has progressive chops, an unblemished record, and they were like, "How come we can't have that again?" And it's like, "Wait a minute, whoa, 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 that's an anomaly." Yeah, you know what I mean? That's like dating Holly Berry, your first girlfriend. Right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's yeah. your first. Imagine right. Holly Berry being your first girlfriend right because no one ever like i like even in my lifetime clinton didn't have that bush didn't have that the other bush didn't have that no No one's ever had that before and no one ever will you know and so he but he ruined a generation of voters where there's an expectation like how come they don't check off all these boxes and i'm like it's the 80 20 rule or most in politics, you're looking at the 60-40 or 70-30. You know, you're not going to get the 100% person. You're going to get someone who checks off a lot of boxes. Mm-hmm. Just like in life, it's life. You're, you're, um, the person you marry doesn't check off every single, most times, doesn't check off every single box in your life. And I'm sure my, my wife would say the same thing about mm-hmm. me. So, but it's the reality. Right. But you look at things like what are the things that are important? I always I'm always fascinated when people I always say, you know, how is it that you can choose your car and your house and your mate and your job with the simple with the rational understanding of, okay, it meets a lot of criteria, but the person you're voting for needs to meet every single criteria. Right. Right. Think about it like the house you get. You don't, you probably have an idea that I want to live in a 10 bedroom, you know, six bath, you know, five car garage home on the top, you know, on overlooking the ocean. Mm-hmm. Right. But, you know, most of us have a four, four bedroom, three bath, yeah, yeah. <laughs> two car garage. Something you know a little more manageable. It, yeah. 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 Something more manageable, something more re- realistic. realistic. And it doesn't, it doesn't even have, everything we're checking off and it has a lot of the things we like, right? But it doesn't check off every single box in our house, mm-hmm. right? That we were looking for in a dream home, right? Getting a car. Oh, I would love to, I would love to have a, 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 a Maybach. Yeah. I listen to enough Jay-Z songs that I've imagined myself having a Maybach. Yeah. Right. <laughs> the chances of me owning a million dollar vehicle <laughs> goes to get slimmer and slimmer every day. I, I wake up in the morning. Right. Right. Um, you know, and, and that's just the reality. And 
our jobs. Oh, I would love to have a job to where I'm, I, I have a job where I'm on location in the Bahamas and I'm traveling around the world and they're paying me half a million dollars a year. I only have to really work like a hundred, hundred days out the year on, you know, out location on the beach or in the mountains or something like that. And, and it's really only a couple hours a day. Now, most people are like, I have to wake up at 6 a.m., you know, get trudged through the job. But, and because the job has its benefits, it has my salary. If there's a rational understanding of how we choose our lives and our career, but for whatever reason, it's our vote. It's like, oh, but I need that to be perfect. And it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. Yeah. And it's not going to happen. You know, politics is not about perfection. It's about the process of, you know, attaining a perfect society. What do you think are... I'm trying to figure out the way to properly word this question, because even with even with Senator Harris on, on, on the ticket with Joe Biden and, and as bad as things have been, you know, over the course of the last four years, and maybe it's just my pessimism now taking over at this point, but I have serious questions as to whether Donald's actually going to lose this election coming up in a few months. And to think that he does, it's, it's like if you, if you go with the mindset that Donald's going to lose, you're going in with the mindset, well, this country has learned something, right? This country has learned something and they learned, okay, you know, we goofed around in 2016 and, and, and we elected this guy and look where it's gotten us. There's, you know, we're approaching 200,000 people dead uh, because of the coronavirus. We're nowhere near the end of this pandemic. We're by far the worst country in, 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 on, on the planet when it comes to dealing Literally. with this. But yet you would think there was, and forgive the poor choice of words, that, there, that he had written his death certificate, like he had signed his own death certificate. But he wants, you know, during the campaign in, in 2020, at least I think it was during the campaign, or at least in 2016, I mean, he said, you know, I could walk out on Fifth Avenue, I could walk out on the Madison Avenue, put a bullet in somebody, I could shoot somebody and not lose a vote. And we're about to find out whether he could put a figurative bullet in 200,000 people and not lose a vote. And I'm under the impression, especially given with the rise of the, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement and that becoming a uh, kind of a more regular part of the conversation. I still, you know, the, the pessimistic part of me believes that that's all fake. Like that's all talk. Those are all things that are people are saying out loud. And with Donald's voters, I believe the bulk of them vote for him in private. They don't talk about it publicly. They don't, they don't talk. They're the, I don't, it's the old Dave Chappelle joke. I'm trying to tell you about having sex with my wife and you're trying to ask me about politics. Yeah, I mean, yeah, right. I'm not going to talk about that personal stuff. Like people who right. vote for Donald Trump aren't going to talk about it. And I think there are a lot more of those people than we realize. And I'm not, I'm not of the belief right now. And I don't know that I will be of the belief from now until election day that he's going to lose. I would actually agree with you. I would say that, you know, um, the appeal of, or not the appeal, the fear of the Donald, Donald Trump voting base is that we don't even know who they are. Yeah. We have an idea. We have this idea of who they are. Yeah. Right. And the, the, the slovenly person who was at the, the Trump rally, you know, who doesn't really know, you know, the three branches of government and, you know, it just you think it's the people that oh, we see on the late night talk shows, like when they're out with the man on the street right. videos, like we think that that's right. the Trump voter. Right. But it literally 
the person who, you know, your neighbor. Yeah. Right. right. It's, uh, it, you know what I'm saying? Your coworker, you know, it's, um, your male person. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's right. people that, exactly. you know, listen, I don't know if you've had it, but I know I've had it over the last three and a half years, three and a half plus years. I, I've, I've run into people and then just in casual conversation, it comes out. They don't even, it comes out like, yeah, I voted for Trump. Like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. You? You're like, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 I voted. And it's like, it just, it, it, it just blows your mind. You're looking at them like, you, you don't fit the, the stereotype. The person, yeah. stereotype, right? And I, there are people who, you know, they, they're not going to fit the stereotype. Um, you know, and there, he is a low information voter. He, um, he's a caretaker of the low information voter, and that doesn't necessarily mean the dumb voter. It means the person who has who does not care enough mm-hmm. about politics to really let it dominate their lives. I realize that I am obsessed with politics. I wake up every day thinking about it. I read about it. I look at voting turnout on local precincts. I am abnormal. I'm not as abnormal it comes to voting about local, state, and national. I'm this is I, I'm not even I don't even get paid for this stuff and I just love I watch it. Right. You know? Yeah. Um I'm abnormal. You know, my wife on the other hand, if I wasn't married to her, she'd probably be like uh like most people, she wouldn't couldn't tell you who her state representative is. She still does, you know. What I mean, couldn't tell you who her precinct representative is. Couldn't tell you, you know, things like that. And for a lot of Trump voters, they're gonna wake up on October fifteenth or October October twenty fifth, and be like, "Hey, I think the election's coming up." Yeah, they haven't right? Thought it right. They haven't thought about it in four years, right? right. I get you. I get you. All right, and they're gonna be like, I think the election's coming up. Yeah, I know they keep talking about that with Donald Dunn, but you know what? I'm gonna give him another shot. Mm. Whatever, you know, it's no big deal. Roll into the roll into the voting booth and vote for him. And I and I will tell you though, he is not. He is the type of candidate who is not um, attracting voters. He's hemorrhaging voters. Mm-hmm. There are two types of candidates. There are candidates who bring in people and grow their base, and there are those that he's they're contracting their base. And he is contracting his base, and he know, he knows that he so he's running right now. And this is why I think he he's still he's, he's still the favorite because he's number one. He's running a um, anti. Um, he's running a challenger campaign, and he's the pres- and he's the incumbent. You know, the incumbent. He's running a challenger campaign as as the incumbent. Yeah, right. Which is wildly, you know, different than most incumbents. And most incumbents they run on their record and they say, "Let's keep this thing going." Right. He is running on things are kind of. Can I curse on here? Of course you can. Just pay things down, are baby. fucked up. Yeah. Right, yeah. things are things are fucked up, but guess what? I'm gonna clean up the fuck ups. Mm-hmm. You know, don't worry about how we got here. Yeah, but I'm gonna and I know things are kind of messed up, but I'm gonna clean up our trade. I'm gonna get our trade partners back to the table, 
right? I'm going to bring the economy back. to It's going to be warring again. Immigration is going to be A-OK once you give me, you know, give me another four years. I know I blew up the deficit and I tripled it in three years. But, and he literally said this, but she put me back in office. I'm going to bring this deficit back down to zero. Mm-hmm. Trust me. Trust me when I do this. So he's running a challenger campaign against his own incumbency. And there's going to be people who wake up on October 25th and be like, hey, you know what? Trump said he's going to, he's going to clean things up. You know, I didn't think, I don't know if things are that bad. I don't know. I've been paying attention. But he said he's going to, he said give another four years. You know, I think maybe we should give another four years. You know, and that, that is the, the scary part about it. And also, and this is really, really scary for me, the post office. And he basically, he's going to cheat to win. Yeah, right. And he's, he's I, been setting that in motion for a while. He's been setting it, and he's laying the foundation, you know, to really, um, you know, skew the, the results of this election. And that, to me, is really troublesome. Because it shows me that those are just the things we know about, right? Yeah. Those are the things we know about. We don't know the things he's doing behind closed doors. He just happens to be getting on the microphone and saying, yeah, I'm going to, I'm slowing down the mail, mm-hmm. you know, um, 80 days before the election, I've removed 671 sorting machines that have been, that are specifically used for ballots in five states, Florida, Wisconsin, Ohio, uh, Man, those states sound familiar. I feel like all those Not states have come up in this conversation already. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why those specific states are the ones he's taking out the sorting machine. It's like it's like it's a weird coincidence, yeah. right? And but those are the things he's doing openly. So if somebody's telling you he's going to cheat openly, what are they going to do behind closed doors? So that's the that's that's one that's one of the scariest parts to me is like what are the ramifications because Everything that he's done, and you think about what a disaster the last four years have been, at least for anybody with two cents. Like, what a disaster the last four years have been, knowing that those four years are leading to this moment right now. They're leading right. to the reelection process. And you you talked about how he's running as a challenger, and if you if you don't pay attention to what's going on around you, you'll hear CNN or, or, or some other news outlet talk about Donald is running on the defensive. Like, he's not running on the defensive. He's running the campaign that he knows works. Because he used it right. before and it worked perfectly. Right. But I think like, yo, we've 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 gone through all of this nonsense for the last four years, all to get to this moment. What happens over the course of the next four years where he doesn't have a reelection campaign to, to to follow? And most presidents are concerned about like who wins the Senate and 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 who who you know wins the the following presidential election and who wins all these different seats. He ain't gonna care. Once, once we're past November 3rd or 4th or whatever day it is, he's not going to be even remotely concerned about who wins whatever seat in the final two years of his presidency. And I keep thinking, man, what are, what are the ramifications going to be knowing what the last four years have been? What are the ramifications going to be when a Donald Trump who literally and figuratively has absolutely nothing to lose? He has proven that he is above the law. He is a, he has proven that he can get impeached and reelected. Like that's like a small story. Like I don't, 
I haven't heard that mentioned once in months that Donald Trump was impeached. And he's on the verge of getting impeached and being reelected. And then you enter a final four years where you've got nothing to lose, man. What, what are the ramifications of that going to be? Right. So that's the thing where I, I, I wonder when you're not worried about the repercussions of, you know, your legacy, then it's like, I'm willing, I've, I've been pretty much given the mandate to do whatever, whatever the fuck I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Yep. I've been given a mandate and I don't want to know what his, what his idea of the mandate is. You know, um, he's already shown to be an incredibly petty person. He's already shown to be incredibly short-sighted. He's already incredibly reactive, you know, and um, obviously he's not, he's not built for leadership as far as even um, corralling people to rally around him. He's, he is the worst iteration of a, of a poor leader, you know. I've ever I've ever seen everything you've ever read about leadership. He's the antithesis of this, right? Right. And I don't want to know what it looks like when you've given somebody, you've emboldened somebody like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's like now you're going to bring out the worst parts of him. You know, and he because he's not worried about getting votes anymore. And imagine that. Imagine we haven't seen the worst parts of him yet. Like, think about so, that. That's wild to think about. Right. But here's the thing. This is where I think he's done a remarkable job of. It's called the um. Uh, the term I heard was so was so great. It's the exhaustion of co- the controversy exhaustion. Yeah. The exhaustion of controversy. Yeah. He has for literally three and a half plus years of his presidency, he's done unprecedented controversial things where he has usurped laws. Um, he's isolated countries. He's lied literally thousands of times, thousands of times. So one reporter said, do you regret lying to American people as much as you have? Yeah. You know, like he's, he's lied so much time that it now washes over us. Like it's so normal to us now, mm-hmm. and that is the most troubling thing we have going for us. I mean, that we may be facing is that there's no bottom for him. There's no bottom because we've we've gotten to a point of exhaustion that literally everything's on the table at this point, you know. And and the exhaustion has led to no accountability. No accountability because we're so tired. And you have, I, 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 I say this too. On the one hand, Republicans have loved Donald Trump. That's why he has a 93% approval rating in the Republican Party. Because he's run what I call an effective Republican presidency. Because they've got everything that um, they've ever wanted. Deregulated presidency. Um, a Supreme Court that's slated, that's, um, slated towards the right. Right. Um, it could even be more curtailed to the right if we don't get somebody in office because Ginsburg is literally on her last lung. Right. Right. Um, federal courts on the district and lower level uh, for like the lifetime appointments, he's appointed over 800 federal, co- uh, co- um, federal district court appointees. So he's reshaped the, or rather Mitch McConnell has reshaped the judicial system. Right. 
Um, and that's not something that I think people think about when election time rolls around. I think they think about the figurehead. <laughs> they think about the figurehead. They think about the four years, and they don't realize that the person they're electing has decades worth of ramifications. And we've never had a president come in and essentially not only try to shape the next decade plus, but also try to erase the last eight years in the process. Mm -hmm. And so what we have now is, you know, uh, um, not to mention, I forget to he. Yeah, um, the tax policy that uh, in his, within his first year, they pushed, shoved down Americans' throats mm -hmm. and um, gave over four trillion, four and a half trillion dollars of redistribution of wealth to the top 1% of this country um, based on a tax policy that has now been shown to that hasn't benefited anybody but that particular group. Everything that Republicans have ever wanted has been a treasure trove. They don't like the exhaustion of Donald Trump. So you have on one hand, you like to think that there might be people like, all right, listen, we've got everything we want. We've kind of robbed the bank here. You know, it's been a good policy-wise four years for us. Mm -hmm. As far as the things, the big ticket items really, really needed. Do we really want to put him back in office? Yeah. Because he's kind of, he, he it, to me, I feel like Republicans might quietly say, if we vote him out now, I'm talking about Republican leaders, we can get him out of office now. We won't be beholden to him for another four years. We lose in November. We can kind of reshape the party in the next two years after that and then come back as a bigger, better, brighter, more morally strong, morally um, uh, um, captured party. You know, we re recognize the error of our ways. It's no longer the Trump party anymore. It's the Republican party again. But he gets back into office for four years. It's the Trump party for another four years. Yeah. And now he, and you're going to have to deal with an emboldened bully for the next four years. And they don't want to have to be dealing with that. So I think quietly there's some Republicans who are the middle, middle of the road Republicans, not these not these sycophants that surround him, but these middle of the road Republicans who might be like, I kind of want him out of office. I'm tired of answering for him. I'm tired of saying things. I'm tired of having to do an interview because of, he, because of his actions. I just want things to be quiet and peaceful and I can go back to doing my regular, you know, Republican skullduggery. It's getting late on the East Coast, but I, I don't I don't want to end this conversation before I ask this oh, question. Good. Let's say hypothetically that Biden and Harris win, and 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 Biden's given his you know his victory speech, and I don't imagine we're going to get any sort of concession speech uh, from Donald in any way, shape, or form. But I think there's a flip side to this coin in that. You know, we discussed the ramifications of Donald Trump potentially being elected for four more years. Well, what are the ramifications for Biden and Harris should they be elected? And they have to enter, you know, you just talked about the tax laws that have come into effect. You just talked about the completely, you know, reshaping of the judicial system by Mitch McConnell. You just talked about the, you know, the, the Supreme Court nominees. Best case scenario is Biden Harris win. Worst case scenario is they're walking into a disaster that they have no idea how to clean up. 
So I thought about that a lot too. It's like, you know, we've talked about, <laughs> we're both Kings fans, right? <laughs> you already know I'm getting going with this, right? This is, su- this is such a, I didn't even think of this. This is such a brilliant analogy you're about to make. <laughs> right. As soon There's as you said it, I was like, oh, I know where you're going. <laughs> There's only 31 opportunities in the NBA. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and as soon as you get, you're like, hey, I got the job. I'm the GM for one of the, uh, for a major sports team, a 31 NBA team. And then you go walk into the first day, you're like, oh, crap, it's a lot of stuff wrong yeah. with this. There's a lot of stuff I need to fix yeah. that I've been busted for the last several years. And it's like the thrill of getting the job, but the reality of actually taking on the task of fixing what was done before you. And, you know, that is going to be what's going to happen um, coming into if should they be successful um, in November. You know, if they wake up on November fourth, and they might look at all the stuff that Trump has done to really wreck this, you know, uh, government. He's left the Taj Mahal of of a mess. You know, and I say that very pointedly. Mm-hmm. Um, a Taj Mahal of uh, of a mess that he had no intention of cleaning up. No intention of of change. Like you think about it. Everything he, he in his left in his wake has been broken, and he's never went back to clean it up. Yeah, he's never went back to fix it, to make it right, you know. And it's just less people despondent. He broke Atlantic City. His his he literally broke Atlantic City, mm-hmm. and um, he doesn't. He, he ever, whenever you ever heard him talk about Atlantic, City, yeah, he just moves on. He just moves, moves on. on to the next, you thing. know. Move on to the next thing, and it doesn't even bother him. It doesn't. It's not a big deal, you know. And um, I think that's the the scary part about it, right? One of the like, funniest. Well, sorry, sorry. Go ahead, because it's 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 kind of off topic, but it ties into what you just said. I'm sorry. No, no. Keep going. Go. Yeah. No, it, it, I I think back to the like Donald Trump has always had this close association with the WWE, and. Right. I remember this this stretch. It was before WrestleMania 25 when they did the Donald Trump versus Vince McMahon thing. And it, this is just so mind-boggling to think about in, in 2020. They did this bit. It was a storyline on the television show that Donald Trump had purchased Monday Night Raw. He hadn't purchased the WWE. He had just purchased their flagship television show. And they announced mm-hmm. this on television. Donald Trump is now the owner of Monday Night Raw. The stock price for the WWE plummeted like so bad that by the time the show was over, the WWE had to put out a press release that said, yo, this is just a story. This is make-believe. This isn't not this isn't real. But I think right. I think how you know this is 10, 11 years ago stockholders panicked when they thought Donald Trump was in charge of something and sold it, all of it. And now mm-hmm. here he is uh, in charge of the country. Well, it's the fascinating thing. What you find is that people don't understand the, um, they don't understand the, the importance of leadership and its connectivity to the, structure of this country 
right? Um, they like strongman policies and strongman ideals, but they understand that uh, businesses don't want to deal with Donald Trump. There's a reason why he couldn't get a loan with any other bank in the country except for Deutsche Bank, which is Russian-owned, Russian Bank Bank, right? Um, there's a reason why he couldn't even, he wanted to be a professional sports owner for decades. None, even though he knew all of them, none of them would even let him anywhere close to buying a team, right? Because they were like, he's going to ruin that team. He's going to ruin, a prof- and he's going to ruin our league. Yeah. You know, and it's odd because the same people that wouldn't let him buy a professional sports team is going to ruin our league. Oh, are they all about him now? They, well, they donated to his campaign. Yeah. So think about the, think about, I want you to think about that, right? The, the level of of superiority and white supremacy that goes into that. I don't want him ruining my business. But I don't mind him ruining the country. Yeah. Think about it. He's gonna ruin and he's gonna ruin the NFL. Let's say he we can't let him be an NFL owner because he's gonna ruin that team, ruin the brand, and then he's gonna make me lose money. Mm-hmm. And I don't like that. But he's perfect to run, I'll donate to his campaign because even if he ruins the country, it doesn't hurt me. Right. You know what I mean? And he's going to run on that campaign of fear and he's going to run it. He's big. Donald, whether, whether they like him as a businessman or not, their ideologies are similar. And we've seen that in recent weeks with Woody Johnson. Like no one is surprised about the comments that we've heard about Woody Johnson in recent weeks. Like no one is surprised by like that. It was one of, he was one of uh, Donald's top voter, uh, uh, donors, and he's an NFL yeah. owner. Like, yeah, no one is no one is surprised by that. You are the company that you keep, and you can look around and you can start porting the guys. It was so clear listening to Jerry Jones talk the other day when he was talking about all the people that have advised him. We we knew who he was talking about. He was using the same exact language that Donald Trump was using, and I couldn't figure out if Jerry was telling Donald what to say. Or if Donald was telling Jerry what to say, but those two were right. operating as one and the same, and you can see that all over the NFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's fascinating because you don't know. The scary part is, like, to your original point, you don't know what is going to be um, the wake of his damage. I I still don't even know, and I follow politics. I still don't even have. I can't really put my mind around everything he's done and we won't know until he's out of office that's the scary part right we won't know until it's everything until he's no longer controlling the means of communication and protectionism of the government because he's covered up a lot of things based on the sheer fact that he's the president and he's like i don't need that information out you know like he did something illegal which is again it's exhaustion of controversy he delayed the job report, which is illegal. You can't, the, the commerce secretary cannot delay the job report. Right. But he delayed it even for a couple of hours until it went past, um, it got delayed, was released midday as opposed to in the top of the morning because it was such a bad job report. That's illegal. Mm-hmm. But he's done so many illegal things like add that to the list. Like, you know, and I thought about that when he did it. I'm like, Jesus, like, how much stuff has, that's the stuff I know about. Yeah, right. Yeah. What about, what is all the stuff he's, he's really hiding? Yeah. That he's done. That it's just, it's exhaustion of controversy that news can't even keep up anymore. You know, like it's, it's gotten so bad that the attorney general, which is illegal, acts as his personal attorney. Yeah. 
and nobody is like it's just like normalized that like it's normalized. Yeah, there's a generation that might not know that's not normal. Like that's that's not, that's normal, not how the country nor- operates. Yeah, there's a reason the attorney general is supposed to operate as an independent body. You know, independent as an independent body, separate from the office of the presidency, and yet it has been confirmed and normalized that he's meeting with the president constantly yeah. and, 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 and almost acting as, as a watchdog for the president's policies. Man, I appreciate you as always, bro. These conversations are always fun, whether we're recording them or not. Yeah, appreciate. It. I hope I stayed. I know we didn't really stay too much on topic, but no. dude, like this is this is this is our show, man. We could come back. We could uh, we could do this all the way till the election, man. People are gonna want to hear more of this for sure. At least I hope they are. Um, thanks for joining me, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate I it. Man. Appreciate everybody tuning in as always. Uh, Patreon.com. Make sure I'm posting this on Saturday night. Make sure you check out the debut episode ESPN thirteen twenty coming up Monday. At noon, Ooh. D'Lo and KC, ESPN 1320. Download the radio.com app. Search ESPN 1320. Hit the heart right there. That's your favorite radio station. You can listen to us on the go. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll be back with more here on the Patreon account next time. All right. Boom. Yeah, I'm good right there, man. Thanks, bro.